Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Tonight, what we're looking at, um, it's uh, got opportunity to do something distinctly to us. So we're going to start tonight in 1 Peter. So if you don't know where that is, it's right in front of 2 Peter, okay? So uh, it's real close to the end of your Bible. Just go to the end of your Bible in the Revelation chapter 1 and turn left three or four or six pages. You'll be at 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> I'm going to uh, read... Um, through the sermon, I'm going to read passages of Scripture that we're probably not going to turn to. Uh, I've got several passages, and so if you take, if you're a note taker, you might want to jot them down. But if you'll just uh, listen and catch it, and then watch it again, or if you can get a live stream later or something. All right, one Peter chapter one. If you're able, I'd ask you to stand with me, please. <clears throat> um, just make mention real quick, there's one of each book that's left in the back. That's all that's left. And so Nancy will be there after service. And if anybody wants more of them, I can tell you how to get them, or you can let Pastor know, and I could uh, work that out for you. <clears throat> but anyway, I'm glad that some of, several of you have gotten the books. I hope it will be a help and a blessing that you'll read it, pass it along to someone, and encourage them to glean from it. And that'd be a, a help and a blessing to them. All right. 1 Peter chapter 1. I could read the entire chapter, and I really want to, but we've got so many verses I'm going to attach tonight that just lift a few verses out. Here we go. Verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. How did he do it? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 8. Whom, having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now look at verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desired to look into." That's incredible. Just stop a moment. These prophets of the Old Testament, they knew Messiah was coming. They knew the promised one was coming. The anointed was coming. 
but he's going to suffer? And they looked diligently into it, trying to figure this out. And God uh, spoke that to them so they could minister to us. And now we are experiencing the very thing that they were looking into. And then it says, the angels, they wanted to know about it too. Verse 13. Because of all this, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, how were you redeemed? Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Mercy. As I read that out loud to you, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there is so much in here. Uh, I, uh, now I'm kind of embarrassed, these notes I have, I, how much we're leaving out. But we'll just do what I've got and Hopefully, as God works in us and so on, we'll get to learn and see more of this. But I'd like to have prayer, and really, I really need God's help to try to communicate this tonight. So I'd appreciate the prayer also if you'd pray for me. All right, let's pray. Our great God, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, man, the Bible is so full. There's so much, and there are things that are just revelatory. There are things that I can't understand. I'm I don't even know what it's talking about. And then tonight I read this and my heart is full for what you did for us. What you admonish us to do and be. So I pray for help tonight to preach, to communicate. Pray for unction and power, utterance. And I pray for all of us, all of us, uh, that we have ears that are ready to hear, hearts that are opened. We want to we catch it, God. We want you to speak to us. For those that are not born again, I know you love them. You've already proved that. I pray they'd see their need and be born again, be forgiven, be saved tonight. And for us that know you, oh, stir us up some more. Revive us some more. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for it. So we love you tonight, really excited, getting ready to see you, it's so wonderful, looking forward to it. So Jesus, it's in your mighty and holy and wonderful name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. <clears throat> We've spent... Uh, this is our fifth service, and so we spent a good hunk of time on trying to 
at least get a glimpse of God's holiness. He is altogether holy. Somebody say amen. amen. There's another word that I was trying to help you to remember, put in your brain, a synonym for holy, and I just want you to think about it. It's always perfect, amen? So he's always perfect. And so because he is perfect and he's holy, we don't have access to him. In fact, in Isaiah 59, 2, it says that he's turned his face from us. It's as if he doesn't have access to us. But God's plan and his grace and his love for us and to reestablish connection with humanity, he provided a way across the chasm or through the wall. Amen? That way is his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door that we have access to God. And so when we get access to God, we are there, watch, we have access to his otherness, his apartness, his separateness. And now I'm going to use the word that we've used, his holiness. And having access to his holiness that we are there, this is glorious, that he's glorious in his holiness, but it's glorious that I'm here with him. It's incredible. But then God gives a direction for each one of us. And he says, be holy as I am holy. Be ye holy. Now, when I was over here, <laughs> I knew it was impossible to be holy. But now that I'm there in his presence and I have access to him, he not only, you know, says, you're over here. Now he says, hey, hey, McCracken, I want you to be holy as I am holy. I don't know if you understand how heavy that is, the weight of that, because we've been talking about holiness these days, and now we talk about holiness, his otherness, his apartness, his perfection, his pureness, his righteousness, and I'm going, ah, I'm not there. And yet the scripture says to be holy. And so um, I, I suppose, and I'm not going to, but I suppose I could spend the evening talking about, okay, guys, we're supposed to be holy. Now let's define exactly what that holiness is. I, I'm, I'm almost certain I can do that. Make it a whole sermon and maybe two or three. I'm not going to do that tonight. It will be included in part of the message. But I am going to say this about be ye holy and talking about the definition and defining it. So if you're struggling with the definition of what you are supposed to do, be ye holy, if you're struggling with the de definition of it, all you have to do is look toward heaven and look at God, and is he holy? Is he perfect? Then we're supposed to be like that. And you're missing it. I'm sorry. I, I maybe should have led you into it differently. If God is holy, that means he's altogether intrinsically holy. We've done that. That means every one of his characteristics are holy. Oh, I wasn't going to do this. I'm gonna, I'm, evidently, I'm going to. 
my relationship with my wife and the characteristic of my holiness is supposed to be perfect in my relationship with her. Is everybody with me? My relationship with my employer. Is anybody getting this? With my children. With my neighborhood. With my government. In every category, I'm supposed to be like holy. And if you are struggling, whether or not you're saying, well, I don't know if this is holy or not. Well, just get in the presence of God and see how it measures up. That's a real good definition of how you know whether what to do. But tonight, here's what I'm going to work on. And I've got several of them. Reasons that we should be holy. Or the word I've got written down is motives. What would be the motivator? What would motivate me to say, oh, I better, I, I, you know, I, I should be holy. I need to do this. I need to do my utmost. I need to try hard on this. So here we go. We're going to start like this. It's in verse number 13 of our text, 1 Peter 1, 13. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope. Look what the Bible says. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. When the Bible talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's talking about his revealing. Here's another way to say it, his appearance. Here's another way to say it, his coming. Jesus is coming. Somebody say amen. There's no doubt about it. In red letters in John, in red letters in John 14, Jesus said, hey, 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 let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. Oh, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. In red letters, Jesus said he's coming back. He said, if I go, I will come again. When I was younger in my teens, I'm a, I'm a manipulator. I've got five brothers. Four are younger than me. And I manipulated them to do stuff all the time. I was always the leader, the instigator. I was always doing things and so on. I got one of my brothers to ride a bicycle off the roof holding an umbrella. So that's the kind of young man I was and so on. And I would often say to them, I'd use the catchphrase, if. Because if you say if, then there's a possibility it might not happen. So when Jesus says, if I go away, and so my little mixed up brain goes, what if he didn't go away? <laughs> well, did Jesus go away? Let's listen carefully, Acts chapter 1. And while they steadfastly looked toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, hey, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which you've seen taken up from you into heaven shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. 
Jesus said, if I go away, the disciples were there, two angels were there. They said, the same one that you've seen taken away shall so come again in like manner. Jesus is coming back. Amen. There's no doubt about it. He's coming back. Matthew 24 says it like this. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour that your Lord doth come. Therefore be ye also ready for such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. In 1 Thessalonians, it says this to help us. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, them which have died, that you sorrow not. The Bible doesn't say, listen, the Bible doesn't say that you cannot sorrow when you have a loved one die. It says, sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We should be full of sorrow, but we also are full of hope. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep in Jesus. Will God bring with him? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Mercy that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air at the last trump. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. You know why they rise first? They got six feet further to go. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. He is coming back. No doubt about it. But wait a minute. He's coming back. That's a good motive to live a holy life. Some of you young people don't know. But there used to be a phrase that we would say in Americana don't get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. And what that means is mom cooked some cookies, and she put them in the jar. At my house, they never were in a cookie jar. They were laying on a towel on the countertop. And mom would say, don't touch them. They're for later. Amen? Amen? But how many believe that cookies are best when they're still warm? Amen. That's how Jesus ate his cookies. <laughs> he warmed them up. Probably, I don't know, I've not asked you, but more than once, I've had half a cookie in my mouth when mom walked in. You know what I'm talking about? That's getting caught with your hand in your mouth. You can't get away with that. Amen? I've told you I have five brothers. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I got caught. I didn't think it was wrong, personally, because I'm quite a good athlete. But I got my brothers to stand against the door in the bedroom, solid core wooden door, to stand like this. And I had darts. And I would throw them and put it between their legs and under their arms, on each side of their head and up here. Because I am a great athlete. So I'd done two brothers. I was on the last brother that was involved in this. And I've already, the darts are lined up, looking good. My brothers are proud of me. This is good. It's just us boys in the room. 
And I threw the last dart, and when I threw the last dart, I had no idea at that very moment, at that very moment, my mom was walking in the front door with two bags of groceries. She'd been in the grocery store. She's walking in the front door, and my dart was just a little short. And it hit my brother right in the forehead, and it stuck to that bone. It was perfectly just stuck. And my two little brothers go, ah! My brother runs out of the bedroom, and mom is standing there at the front door. She sees her boy with a dart sticking out his head. That's like getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar. There's just no way to explain that really good to your mother. I did try to say, Mom, I was really good. I already did two of them. It was awesome, man. Jesus is coming back. Somebody say amen. We don't know when. What are you going to be doing when he comes back? See, that's the whole idea about this. I don't want to be doing something that I'm going to be heartbroken when I'm raptured out of here. I don't want to be in the midst of some wickedness and something that's evil, something that's horrible, something that's unholy. I, I, I want to have the right heart. I want to be, oh, I'd love to be preaching when he comes back. But every preacher feels that way. But I wouldn't mind being asleep when he comes back. Because at least I wouldn't be doing something I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> but I don't want to be doing something I shouldn't. Amen? I'm just telling you the truth. The next time you get ready to do something, you know it's wrong. You know your mama doesn't want you to do it. You know your wife doesn't want you. You know your husband would just be heartbroken if he knew what you did. Your parents would be disappointed if Jesus came back the next time you get ready to do it. You need to be thinking, what if he comes right now? And you need to turn away from that. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. It's a good motivator to help us. Keep your heart with all diligence. Amen. Now, I've got a couple pages on this, and I'm going to try to reduce it. But I, I just in the text, it gives you a little clue of how to do this. In verse 13, he says, Wherefore, because, he's, because uh, the angels and the prophets looked at what Jesus did for us and all that, he says, Hey, since you're a believer, gird up the loins of your mind... Be sober, hope to the end. So he's just saying, hang in there and do right until he comes back. Is everybody with me? Amen. Gird up the loins of your mind. Whenever the Bible uses the word gird, especially in the New Testament, it's talking about this belt and the relationship to a Roman soldier that his girdle held his other pieces of armor in place. And so this gird, this girdle thing that the Bible uses this thing was, is that it, it is to hold in place, it's to oh, harness or support or protect. Is everybody with me? So he says, I want you to harness your mind. Oh, I want you to protect your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Well, why does our mind need to be so protected? Do you know that every, excuse me, do you, you're, not, you're not with me, I'm almost there. You know that every sin we commit starts with a thought? Starts with a thought. That's how it all started. 
There's not one thing that you've done that is inappropriate, that's wicked, that's sinful. There's not one thing that you've done that the thought wasn't there. You might not have originated thought. Someone might have come to you and you weren't even thinking about it. And they said, hey, let's do this. And now the thought is there. You've got to make a decision. The thought's there. So the Bible says, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Gird up your mind. Protect your brain from these wrong thoughts. Well, what does that mean? Protect your brain from wrong thoughts. Well, where do wrong thoughts come from? Everywhere. But I don't need to accelerate them by reading some magazines, clicking on some websites, watching some movies. Does anybody hear anything I'm saying? Reading some books, hanging out with these people. Does anybody here know what I'm saying? I, what am I doing? Why am I so protected? Because he said, gird up the loins of your mind. Protect your mind. It all starts with a thought. You know what happens after you think about it a little while? The thought leads to an act. You would never have done it if you hadn't thought about it first. Because you spent too much time pondering and thinking about it. Now you've done the act. And you're guilty. So someone said this, I didn't say it. If you sow a thought, if you keep sowing that thought, you're going to reap an act. And because of that, because of an act, you, you do that act again, you do that act again. You know, there's nobody, there's nobody that started off thinking, well, I, I think today I'm going to start off, I think today's the day to start being an alcoholic. He didn't start off that way. But he turned into that. Because it started with a thought, and then it was an act, and it became a habit. There's nobody that wanted to commit adultery, cheat on their spouse, nobody. Nobody starts off like that, but it started with a thought. Then all of a sudden, there's the act. And then it's not one act, it's another act. And now you have this habit. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry. You can talk about drugs. You can talk about anything. It doesn't matter. There's something that you know is inappropriate, and you've got this habit. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm, oh, some of you are going to be messed up about this. I'm going to say it anyway. This, you know these, uh, let's see what they call them, electronic games people, kids play? Is anything wicked or wrong with them? I don't think so. I don't. But do you know how habitual they become? You know how many minutes they steal from our life? I'm talking about they steal. You don't get them back. Well, how did it start? Well, it started with the thought. I think I'm going to learn how to play this. Oh, there's a fruit game or something that people all played. Uh, they're falling out of the sky. They're different colors. What is it? Fruit Ninja. Fruit Ninja. That's not the one I was thinking of, but there's another one. What's all the fruits are? I guess they're fruit. Candy, candy, not, not fruit, candy. Candy. Yeah, that became really popular. I tried it once. I said, that's stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> but regardless, you, get, you didn't mean to spend that much time. And then all of a sudden now, is anybody with me? And now you have this, it was a thought. Now you did the act. And you go, well, I'll, maybe I'll try it again. I'll try it again. Well, I'll try it again. Now you've got a sinking habit. 
for about six months last what year we're in June part of this year and part of last year every night every night before I went to sleep I had my phone there I played this uh, game on my phone I uh, it's, it's called hearts I played the I played I'd play hearts, and then I'd go, go to sleep. I thought, how many minutes has this taken? This is stupid. I don't need to do this. But it became a habit. Is everybody with me? And I was doing it. So since it became a habit, I said, this habit is not going to be part of me. I'm not doing this anymore. Is everybody with me? You have this little free moment. You go, well, I might as well play Candy Crush. Might as well play, what I call it, hearts. Whatever game it is, doesn't matter. You know what? You sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a life. And now you've lived your whole life. You go, I can't believe I'm 40 years old and this is all I've done. I can't believe I'm 40 here. I can't believe I've been saved. This. I can't believe I haven't read the Bible yet today. I played Candy Crush, but I didn't read the Bible. I played Hearts, but I didn't read the Bible. Does anybody hear anything? You reap a life. Mercy, I wasn't supposed to do it this long. Now, some of you are old, and you remember when we first got computers, we had DOS, DOS. We had to enter in DOS, and we had to do the semicolon, and we had to do, the, we had to do that stuff. C colon. That's how you, you had some way you could get in. Now you don't have to do that. But so way, way, way back then, they had something because us rookies and unknown people, we would call help and say, uh, I don't know what to do right now. Everything is a mess. Well, anyway, I got lots of stories about it. But anyway, here's what they told me. Whatever I put into my computer is what's in there. And so they had this phrase back then. I don't know if it's still around. It should be G-I-G-O. You put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. Is everybody with me? I think it's still valid today. If you put garbage in here, you're going to get garbage out. If you allow garbage in, garbage is going to come out. So how do you do it? Look at verse 14. It tells you, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance. Don't go back to the old life you used to live. You're not like that anymore. Somebody say amen. Mercy's sakes. Verse 15. But as, it is, but, as, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Conversation does mean speech. I believe it's inappropriate. I think it's wrong. I think it's uh, wicked. I think that God is not pleased, not glorified by it. That cursing is something, cussing is something that is offensive. You should be holy in your conversation, and some, many people's, their speech is not even close to what I would consider, God would consider to be holy, or pure, or just, or righteous. Amen? But the word, the word uh, conversation actually is a broader word in, the, in our Bibles. It means life. It means behavior. You're supposed to be holy in all manner of conversation, in all manner of your life, in all manner of your behavior. We're supposed to be holy. Why? Because he's coming back. Somebody say amen. Mercy, I got stuck there. I wasn't supposed to. Look at verse 16. Let's do another motive. Verse 16. 
Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Here's the motive. Here's the motive. We should be holy because God says it. Does anybody remember mama saying, because I said so? Dad saying, because I said so. It ought to be enough that God could say, because I say so. Amen. I've got several verses I could read in Leviticus 11. He says, be holy. In Leviticus 19, Leviticus 20, be holy. We're supposed to be holy because God says it. Because his word says it. Now look at his word. Look at verse 25 about his word. It says, but the word of the Lord endureth how long, folks? His word is unchangeable. His word endures forever. If he said it once, that's enough. It is still around. It's still effective. It's still pertinent. It's still something that he expects from us. Be holy. It's in his word. And so now I have a whole lot of stuff about the word. It's incorruptible and that it lasts forever and that his word is settled. I have a lot of that, but because I spent too much time over there, we got to keep moving, okay? But there is something I want to show you in verse 25 that I think has weight. Look at this, verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, watch, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Watch, watch, watch. I should live a holy life because the word says so. And the word endures forever. So it hasn't changed. But watch this. He says the word is what we use to preach the gospel. The word is the reason I'm living a holy life. And as I live a holy life in obedience to God... It should be, it should be that my life and my witness through the word is presenting the gospel. Amen. Our holiness, the life that we live as holy, ought not be offensive to people. It ought to be that they go, there's something different about them. And it ought to lead them to the gospel. Are people offended at Christ? Yes. Will they be offended at me sometimes? Yes. I'm not above Christ, but I don't have to be rude and mean and vindictive and holier than thou. And looking down all the time at people. In fact, I don't have any right to look down on anybody. Not one soul. The Bible says I'm supposed to raise everybody above me. Everybody. Doesn't matter who they are, what station they are, but watch my holy life. My holy conversation, my holy behavior presents the gospel to them. Somebody could say amen. Amen. I love that I saw that and the Lord touched my heart about that. All right. I mean, no, 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 I'm getting ready to move on, but let me ask you a question. I want you to answer out loud. Do we have the word of God? Is this book trustworthy? Is this really the inspired perfect, preserved Word of God. Yes. So how many times does he have to say it? Amen. Let me give you another motive. Look at verse 22. Seeing then that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now time out, time out, time out, time out. How did my soul get purified? Excuse me, how did it get holified? 
Through Christ. Through, I got saved. It says it right here in obeying the truth. What's the truth? God's holy, you're not. Christ is the Savior. He died for our sins. So, what he says in obeying the truth, what verse was I in? Uh, verse 22. It says, uh, in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned, that means non-fake, love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Since you are saved and you're supposed to be living holy, here's one of the ways that you can live holy, or here's a motive to live a holy life, because you love the brethren. Everybody with me? Well, ago when I came over here and I said my behavior toward Nancy, my character toward her is supposed to be holy, and I was trying to explain or get across to you if you're trying to define, oh, well, is this holy or not? Is this holy or is this not? Well, in my behavior toward her, is this holy or not? I should be able to know, does this honor God or not? Is this righteous? Is this pure? Is this perfect or not? My speech toward her. Okay, now, watch, because of the unfeigned love of the brethren, I should live a holy life. Now, I love her, and so I should respond to her properly, but now I should live a holy life because I want to be the right kind of example to her. Is everybody with me? We should love one another. Doesn't the Bible say this? By, all, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples by your love one for another? Leo, you weren't sleeping, were you? No, I, wasn't I know you weren't. I know. <laughs> Wait a minute. Leo's my brother. I've met him. I think this is, the, this is the fourth time I've been here to preach. I think he's been here each time I've come, I think. And so I'm getting to know him more and more, and Leo hasn't changed any. He's the same guy standing back there that he was two, four, six, eight years ago. Nearly eight years ago. Wow. But I should love him. So if I really love him, and if I'm out living this life that's unholy, that's not showing I love him at all. Is everybody with me? Because you care about somebody else. See, excuse me, sin is so selfish. When you and I sin, it's usually just about us satisfying. <laughs> I love this. this is what I wanted. This makes me feel good. Oh, I wanted this. <laughs> and because we are selfish, we sin. But if I care about Brother Leo, I should say, I want to do this, but this would not be a good testimony to him. I'm not going to. I want to go there, but it would not be a good testimony. I'm not going to go. Amen. Can I say... So what? Leo, grow up. I'm not messing with you. Do what I want to do. I can do that. But greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the Holy Bible uses phrases like, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. I'm supposed to die to self. I'm not supposed to tell someone I love uh, too bad for you. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. I'm supposed to say, you know, I want to do this. I don't even think it's wrong. But I know that Leo, it won't be a help to him. It won't benefit him. 
It might even cause him to get off track. So I'm not going to do that even though I think it's okay. I don't want to be offensive to him or lead him down a path that could be horrible for him. Is anybody hearing me? Amen. I I know you said amen. I know you did. That's not what I hear in Christianity. Christianity is, I don't think it's wrong. I don't know why people make a big deal of it. Why do they talk about that so much? That's just foolish. Well, it might be that they love somebody so much that they don't do what everybody else thinks is okay because they love the brethren. Amen. Amen. Mercy. Let me put this thought in your brain. Oh, oh I'll keep looking back there for the clock. Let me put this uh, thought in your brain. Um, if you love other people, Let me, I want you to, I hope you'll agree with me. If I love other people, I should endeavor to live a holy life because I love the brethren. All right. However, I'd like for you to answer out loud. Is anybody in here going to be perfect? (laughs) Do you know what humans do when we find out we're not perfect? Well, not all of us, but this one does. If I'm not perfect or I'm not going to win, I don't want to play. If I don't have a chance to accomplish it, I'm not even going to try. The goal is so lofty that I know I can't get there, so I'm not even going to try to get there. Is everybody with me? Has anybody in here ever ran a marathon? 26.2 miles, anybody ever ran? Brother Elliot has. How many did you run? Me too. (laughs) How old were you? What? Oh, I was 56. My mom said, why are you doing this? I said, I ask myself that every day, Mom. But because most of us think I'm never going to run a marathon, why bother? Why train? I'm getting ready in October, I hope, to go down in Grand Canyon. I'm not going to run, but I'm going to walk down to the river and walk back out. And the pastor friend that says I can go with them, I said, what kind of shape do I have to be in? He said, you need to be able to run a 10K. That's 6.1 or 6.2 miles. I said, I can't run a 10K right now. I can barely run a mile right now. But I've been training, and I'm going to train until October. And right now, I'm running two miles a day. I run five days a week. So this is my third week on two miles, and I'm, I'm building up to it. Why am I doing it? I have a goal. But wait a minute. If you're setting there and go, well, I know I can never run five miles. I ain't even going to try. Well, you never will if you never try. Now, here's what I'm getting at. The Bible says, be holy. Well, that ain't going to happen. I can't be holy. In fact, the Bible says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. I ain't got a chance. I can't be perfect. I can't be holy as he's holy, so I'm not even going to try. That's what many of us do. We excuse ourselves to say, I can't do it anyway, so why try? Because how many times does he have to say it? 
Is everybody with me? He's coming back. I love the brethren. So I'm going to try to live a holy life because even though I know I can't, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep trying. Why? Because 1 John 1, 9 is true. It's in the Bible. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us, cleanse us, make us holified again from all unrighteousness. He said, Brother Dave, how many times do you have to do 1 John 1, 9? I don't know, about every, I don't know, probably every, somewhere around 60, 70 seconds. <laughs> or maybe every once in a while I make it a little longer. Is everybody with me? But why would I keep doing 1 John 1, 9? Why would I keep confessing? Because I want to be holy when he comes back. Because I love the brethren. Is everybody with me? Oh, if we're called Christians, we're supposed to bear his image. So we should live holy. Oh, uh, let me see. Does that matter? Uh, look at verse 17. Verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without respect to persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. Here's another motive to live a holy life. Because we're going to stand before God someday. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to stand before him. And I don't know if anybody was listening. Did you see that when it said, uh, verse 17, that it says, he who without respect to persons judgeth. Said it doesn't matter what your name is. When you stand before God, if your name is Evangelist Dave McCracken, God's not going to give me any more slack than anybody else. No, no, he's going to judge you the same that he judges me. He's going to judge me the same that he judges you. Wow. We don't have time, but we, we could turn to 1 Corinthians 3, and it talks about wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stones, one day we're going to stand before him, and the Bible says he's going to judge our works by fire. In the Bible, they call it God's fire, his fire. When God judges us, that won't be a boo-boo. We won't be able to go, that, that, that's not what I meant. No, he's going to judge us, and it will be correct judgment. Wow. Have any of you ever been standing and seen sand on the ground, sand, and you see one of them sparkle? You ever seen one of them sparkle and you wonder, what is that? Is that a piece of glass in the sand? Is that a little diamond in the sand? And it's just a little tiny speck. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's bigger than a grain of salt, but not a whole lot. Well, that's, in my brain, I'm thinking when he puts the fire to Dave McCracken's stuff, you know, I think I see it. I think I see it. You know. He's going to judge me. And it should be a good enough motive for me to live a holy life. And I don't want just one little speck of precious stone to lay at the feet of the Savior. 
I want to I live a holy life for him. And somebody say amen. amen. Mercy. We're not going to do it. I'm just going to tell you because we're not going to read it. But another reason to live a holy life? Because of the price paid for my sin. I'm not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. It's embarrassing. If Leo and I were out boating in the water and I fell in and I'm drowning, I'm drowning, he saves my life. And he knows he saved my life. I know he saved my life. The newspaper knows he saved my life. It's on TV. He saved my life. He saved my life. How would I feel toward him? I would never diss him. If he'd let me, I'd follow you around everywhere. I'd say, what do you want me to do for you? What do you, want? you know, like the old Chinese proverb, if someone saves your life, you have to stay with them until you save their life or whatever, the rest of your life. But we treat Christ like he's an unnecessary uncle. We treat him like take it or leave it. He shed his precious blood. That's the only reason I have access. If none of the other motives were in there, if there were no other motive other than Christ shed his blood so I can be forgiven and go to heaven, that'd be enough reason to live a holy life. Mercy. If you're not saved, you can't live a holy life. You're separated. You're, there's a gulf, a chasm between you and God. You don't have a chance. But once you get saved, you go through the door of Jesus Christ. You're now in the holy place. God says, be ye holy. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.